Everyone was doing it. So let me get this straight. If the crowd decided to run off the side of a cliff, you would do that too? Um, no ma'am? Well, that's how you're acting. Hey, this is Michelle Spivey, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. Join me on the flip as we talk about secrets to getting ahead of the crowd. I'll see you on the flip. Secrets to getting ahead of the crowd. Let's just dive right on to, into it. So I've said this before, and one of the tenets of this podcast is that I was inspired by the great sociobiologist E.O. Wilson uh, when he said that, and I'm going to just tell you, this is the secret to getting ahead of the crowd. Listen up. This is what he said. He said, we're drowning in information while starving for wisdom. The world henceforth will be run by synthesizers, people able to put together the right amount of information at the right time, able to think critically about it and make important choices wisely. So, yes, that is the secret to getting ahead of the crowd. Now, why E.O. Wilson? Well, not only was he the father of sociobiology, and sociobiology, let me just tell you what that is. It is, of course, the scientific study of uh, uh, ecological system and the evolutionary system of social behavior in in, um, animals and humans. Now, he was a biologist, and he was most noted for his study of ants. And if you look at ants, ant colonies, and all that stuff, it is a fascinating world. And of course, looking at this man who was able to study a culture that is a microcosm of our bigger ecological system and and then being able to take that and bring it up to the human level. He did so many powerful things. This is not about E.O. Wilson today. This is about you. So let me let me stop gushing over my love for E.O. Wilson and just let you know that secrets to getting ahead of the crowd is really important because uh if if you continue to go the way you're going, you're going to have more anxieties, depressions, panics, and those types of things infiltrating your world, if not yourself. And so this is kind of today a love letter to you to let you know that you have got to find a way to get ahead of the crowd because the weight of the crowd is becoming a crushing force on so many people that are not aware of why and, and, and what is happening to them. So let me just talk a, real quickly about the crowd. Now, um, I've talked in previous uh, podcasts about this infamous crowd. And in 1895, uh, Gustave Le Bon wrote about his observations of how the crowd acted differently from individuals. Why was it that uh, a man of morals and education, when uh, in enrobed in the crowd of other people would become irrational. And I will just tell you, in the book, The Crowd, he did not have a lot of good that came out of his observations. And so he basically came down to the point who says, well, the crowd is far too irrational to make sense of anything. He said that the crowd was brash, belligerent, and basically bullies. Um, And going through his uh, work, I made up not made up. I, I I put down some things that struck me about the crowd. Now I'm going to tell you guys. This was 
I did this a while ago when I was actually studying in my uh, psychology program about creativity uh, in the crowd, crowd behavior, crowd consumerism, and all of those types of things. And these were some of the things that I noted about the crowd based on this a trilogy of, of men, Gustav Laban, Howard Lippmann, and Edward Bernays. I've talked about all of them. And so uh, let me just tell you these things and I'll tell you what Howard Lippmann did and then what Edward Bernays did. Okay. So based on the studies of the crowd and all of these things and understanding that they are irrational and they're brutish, that the crowd is highly susceptible to peer pressure, fear of missing out, covetousness, and the pain of isolated invisibility. And these things can be used as vice grips by those in the know to exact pressure on the crowd to do what they would have them do. Now, where you had Gustave Le Bon in 1895 talking about his observations of the crowd and how the crowd is, they're not good. They're not good actors. But then on the other side, as he continues to talk about the crowd, he talks about the crowd as the individual, how they handle politics, how they handle uh, social aspects and all of that. He came to the conclusion that the crowd is basically stupid. So Howard Lippmann picks this up and he's like, based on what Gustav Le Bon does, and uh, Howard is doing this like around the early 1900s, 1910s, and he puts out some books about his theory of the crowd. And he's appealing to people of power because until now, people of power uh, were not aware that you could talk to people as a a unit that had a different entity and uh, personality type. At first, everybody thought that everyone in the crowd was smart (laughs) and that um, now, of course, we know now that there is a wisdom to the crowd as well. But during this time, at the turn of the century, 19, uh, the 1900s, 20th century, we've got these guys looking at this stuff and they were going to give birth to a whole bunch of stuff they didn't even realize they were going to do. But anyway, and can y'all tell I get excited when I talk about this stuff? Thank you so much for listening. And I hope this helps you because it does have uh, some pertinence to uh, secrets to getting ahead of the crowd. So just bear with me. So whereas LeBon talked about his observations of the crowd, Littman picks this up and he says, okay, the crowd is stupid. And so he moves into the um, herd mentality of a crowd where instead of just observing them and being appalled at what the crowd is capable of doing, he says, well, why don't we take that power from the crowd? Uh, Because the crowd does not deserve to have that kind of power. And if you're in government or if you are a merchant or uh, if you have clout, political or or money-wise, you should have the power. And so Littman starts talking about ways to manipulate the crowd, ways to use these characteristics about them, either against them or to quote-unquote help them. Because now Littman is saying, these poor babies, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to handle power. So let's take it from them and uh, let's, let's do right for them. So then Edward Bernays comes up and uh, he's he's talking around the same time. And it's so funny that you got this trilogy of men in this in this burgeoning um, innovation, if you will, of understanding people as a uh, entity, uh, an ecological system, if you will. Shout out E.O. Wilson. <laughs> OK. And so Bernays comes in and he says, OK, so what we can do is we can not only 
take this power from them because it is true. The crowd does not know how to act. The crowd does not know how to do well for themselves. But what we can do is we can now make it where they accept it as their idea. And Edward Bernays is the um, nephew of a famous man, uh, Sigmund Freud, on both his mother and his father's side. And he adores his uncle and his powerful work and studies with him, comes back. He brings this back and he, he writes books as well. And he appeals to the powers that be, whether they be corporations uh, or even countries. And he starts what is called propaganda. But someone comes behind him about 30 years later, Adolf Hitler, and it is revealed that Adolf learned <laughs> from Edward Bernays how to use propaganda to sway a country. And so Edward Bernays does what he does very well. And he's like, we can't use that word anymore. And so they come up with a nice word called public relations. And so then the branding is done where he is ostracized himself from uh, the term propaganda. And instead he is public relations. And thus we know him as the God, the Godfather of public relations. And he is the reason why a lot of people believe they, uh, that life is the way it should be when you, but it doesn't hold up to scrutiny because if you look at life is the way it should be based on culture, it changes. All right. So thank you for letting me uh, tell you all that stuff because it was a setup to be able to give you a crash course on understanding the crowd. And now with the advent of all this information and people starving for wisdom, when we go back to what um, E.O. Wilson said um, with the way he was evolving us, that the crowd is not necessarily stupid. The crowd does not necessarily need to be led, but there are some characteristics of the crowd that we need to know. And that is, even though the crowd doesn't need to be led, the crowd is always looking for a leader. A crowd is looking for a leader, a guru, a master, a messiah even. And the crowd will latch on to someone, whether that person wants to be in that position or that person is at the opportune time to be co-opted for that position. But you have to be careful because the crowd is still the crowd and the crowd can exalt you one day and crucify you the next. And many people know that. Um, that is how you can have people who get 15 minutes of fame and then uh, once the crowd does what it does, it bets, it gets on there, it looks at every part of your life, you become the villain. villain. And so, like I said, there are telltale signs of what the crowd does because understanding the characteristics of the crowd will help you to not get in the position of wanting to lead the crowd, but get in the position of being ahead of the crowd. Um, I was talking with a client the other day and uh, we were trying to get down to what they wanted to do for their livelihood, you know, as their business. And they kept alluding to the fact that they wanted to be industry leaders. And I was like, do you really know what that means? And so taking them through what it meant to be an industry leader and how that plays out in the crowd uh, and how they did not have the necessary resources. And I'm not just talking about physical resources. I'm talking about psychological resources for them, their team, and their families to take on that. We came up with a different understanding. And part of what I 
was helping them with, I'm going to be sharing with you today. So basically, you're kind of like getting part of a, a high level consultant consultancy for free. See, we give, we give. All right. So um, some other characteristics of the crowd that we don't want to um, not, we don't want to ignore is that the crowd always wants simple shortcuts to gain something without having to go through normal means. The crowd always wants something for nothing. The crowd always wants uh, you to give them um, what I like to call silver bullets and golden geese. They only want, they don't even just want the facts. When it comes down to it, they want to get you as close to doing it for them as possible. I had many people come to me and talk about their book ideas and all of this type of stuff. When it came down to it, nine times out of 10, they would be very happy if I just did it all for them and then they slapped their name on it. And uh, I used to get a little stymied. I was like, but this is your idea. You are trying to get me to do all this stuff. You know, they thought they were being slick, but they weren't. But then I had to go back and remember the characteristics of the crowd and the crowd. And when I say, even though I'm dealing with um, individuals in this sense, they were still behaving like the crowd because they had heard that you could make all this money self-publishing. And I'm not going to lie. There is a lot of money to be made in self-publishing, but not the way you think it's to be made. All right. So uh, more things about the crowd. Now, I will say, um, when I first started encountering um, this understanding of the crowd, I was in um, a postgrad pr- uh, program uh, studying about um, the psychology of creativity and of um, behaviors of uh, people. I was always interested in that route. And I also, because I had an MBA, uh, was interested in how they behave in the world of market and commerce and capitalism and all of that. And so understanding uh, the crowd from how we came to consumer behaviorism and all of that opened my eyes up to, you don't ever want to be in the crowd. And you truly, if you got any common sense, you don't want to lead the crowd. Because time and time again, there are many examples throughout history that show that the crowd is still a vicious entity. Just ask some of the early leaders of the French Revolution who were the ones who got the French to start revolting against the king only to be the ones who, whose heads ended up on the guillotines. It amazes me, but there is the crowd. And thus, Gustave Le Bon going back and understanding these things about his people, his culture. All right, so... Uh, let's get into what does this mean for you? So moving forward, why you want to get ahead of the crowd? Now, I already told you the main secret. And the main secret is, is that there are going to be people, there are people not going to be right now. There are people who are starving for wisdom. They have a gluttony of information, but they are not able to synthesize it. 
And for those people who will be the synthesizers, who are able to take this right information at the right time, package it up uh, with good critical thought uh, to make important choices wisely are going to succeed. It's already happening. There are burgeoning uh, vlogs, blogs, uh, influencers who do nothing but this. They will take hot takes on things and they will pick out important points and people wait for them to tell them what to think about something before they decide what side of an argument they're going to be on. And these people are starting um, to get paid handsomely for having this uh, skill. And it comes back to what E.O. Wilson said, um, that to be able to be this synthesizer is going to help you. And so I'm not saying that to get in he- ahead of the crowd that you have to be able to do this, but I am going to tell you that there are a lot of benefits to being able to look and use some critical thought when you're looking out at what's happening. So now that we have an understanding of the crowd, let's look at its irrationality because it is far more irrational than you are or I am as an individual. So the crowd is prone to peer pressure, fear of missing out, covetousness. Covetousness is a fancy word for and greedy and wanting what other people have, never satisfied with what they have. Um, the crowd is also susceptible to the pain of isolated invisibility if they don't fit in. And these things can be used as vices against the crowd by those in the know. Okay, so remember, the crowd is always looking for a leader, messiah, master, or guru. The crowd also wants to take these shortcuts. They are highly susceptible to peer pressure, fear of missing out, covetousness. They never want to be isolated uh, and become invisible for fear of not fitting in. And there are people who know this, but this is not this kind of show. We're not telling you to take advantage of these folks. You know, you want to love on them. All right. But you do need to understand that becoming aware of what the crowd is capable of, understand that you are part of the crowd. Yes. And that it takes concentrated effort to recognize when you are part of crowd mentality, whether you are assembled at a a game or sitting on your couch watching the evening news. You can be a part of a crowd if you're not aware of what you're doing. So to Get outside of being a part of the crowd and to get ahead of it. Let's look at, um, I've got six quick little things that I want to hit you with, and then I'm going to let you go. So the first and foremost thing is I want you to understand the difference between qualitative and quantitative. Don't let those words scare you. When we talk about qualitative, we're talking about quality. Uh, That would be experience, collected and examined. Um, That would be uh, your street knowledge, your tacit ability to know how to do something. All right. And when we take about, talk about quantitative, we're talking about measurements, data and technology. OK. And so with that, we are um, going to talk about something that can be measured. Now, a lot of times people will argue with you that if you say, for instance, you're trying to give them qualitative um data or or answers or whatever, they're going to a lot of times come back to you with quantitative, like, well, can you measure it? Can you track it? You know, it's like, how can you, can you track a happiness meter? You know, (laughs) something like that. And this is important because just understanding these quick little things is going to help us with something that is paramount at getting ahead of the crowd. And that is psychological innovation. 
All right. So let me give you an instance of psychological innovation. Psychological innovation does have some siblings and the siblings are going to be industrial innovation, technological innovation, instructional and informational innovation, where the others a lot of times can fall into this quantitative approach or analysis. You see how I set y'all up for that, where you can measure it and uh, you can get data for it. The psychological innovation is going to have more of a qualitative approach to it because it's based on experience and and um and your your school of hard knocks and all that kind of stuff. And if you ever want to remember what we're talking about and how to get ahead of the crowd and how to think for yourself, think of it like this. Um, most people are familiar with the term demographics. And so when we're talking about demographics, we're talking about the facts of a people. What's their age, their income, their ethnicity? Where do they live? Uh, how far do they drive? What car do they own? So these are all facts. And guess what? Those facts can be measured, quantified, and um, you can get some idea of a person factually. Uh, these data points are what economists love to use when they're trying to tell you about people. And remember that when you have facts uh, in a quantitative analysis approach, what you're looking at is the best possible circumstance where this is how someone behaves if they have the resources, the, the time, and the perfect mindset uh, to to be able to make a decision and to do something. But we are, guess what? Irrational beings. And that is why demographics don't always work. We used to use them all the time, but then innovative um, psychological innovation came in and guess what? Brought us psychographics. So whereas demographics are about the facts of a people, psychographics are about the why of a people the behavior of why people do what they do. And I'm going to tell you, just by learning the difference between uh, demographics, qualitative approach, I mean, quantitative approach, and psychographics, qualitative approach, and y'all, please don't let these these words throw you. Keep listening. I promise you, you're going to get this. We're going to get this. Um, that you are heads above people because they are not realizing that a lot of times the crowd action is in effect and that the powers that be people who is in their best interest to treat you like chattel and herd you along and get you to where they want you to be uh you become this unwilling participant in this game that they play so in order to get ahead of the crowd now that we have understood what the crowd is now that we understand psychological innovation meaning that we are able to have a connection with how we think and behave as to how we innovate or create, we can now position ourselves to get ahead of the crowd. And remember, ahead of the crowd does not mean leading the crowd. Leading the crowd, that's a dangerous position to be in. Remember that guillotine, okay? So now, here are a few of them that I want to talk to you today. Number one, be dual-minded. Number two, be an early adapter. Number three, use your death advisor daily. Number four, learn the position of gods and mortals. Number five, be a synthesizer. Yes, we've talked about that. And then number six, know your surroundings and the people. Okay, so let's get into this um, and 
give you these so that you'll be able to know the secrets. You already know the secret, but now we're going to show you how to start doing it. All right. So when we talk about being dual minded, I want you to uh, grasp the concepts of divergent and convergent thinking. Divergent means think of it as a, a point in time, like a centralized point. And then a whole bunch of things burst out from that point. That's divergent thinking. So divergent thinking is different. It's going from a centralized point into different directions. So it moves away from a common point. Um, Sometimes (laughs) you might think of people as contrarians where somebody will say something and then you can always tell the divergent thinkers in the crowd because instead of nodding yes or no, I agree or I disagree. They're going to be the people who take the ba- the bunny trails and uh, who go all into these different game plays. They are playing chess to get to uh, the checkmate by going by various avenues of their thinking. And so they're going to be divergent thinkers. Convergent, on the other hand, is the opposite, where you take all of what the people are saying and your ideas and all of those bunny trails that you went through and you coalesce into, you guessed it, a single common point. Now, to be double-minded, dual-minded, you want to first be divergent. Allow yourself to go out into different thought patterns away from the crowd, away from what everybody is saying. And once you have investigated what other people are saying, then you take the best of all of these different things and you bring it back in to a common point. And um, the reason why you're going to do that is because you're going to be able to come up with solutions that are psychologically and technologically innovative. Um, by becoming this kind of thinker. We're going to talk a little bit more about this problem solving, but for for the most part, get in the habit of being a dual-minded person who is able to go through these actions. The next one is to be an early adopter is to be adventurous and to explore. The one sad part about a lot of people who would be genius and who would leave an indelible mark on uh, civilization is that they're scaredy cats. They never want to move out of their comfort zone. They are fine with dominating in a small pool, uh, but never wanting to even get to a creek, a lake, a sea or an ocean. And so you have to move outward. And nowadays it's able, you're able to do that because of the internet. There are no more boundaries for getting your ideas out, for getting out uh, who you are, for investigating things. You know, heck, part of what makes us scared you can do by research before you physically go somewhere. So to be an early adapter means that you explore and you become adventurous and you are usually willing to try something before other people. And I know some of you just had a butt clench right there when I said that. But being able to do that is a powerful thing. Uh, let me just tell you tell you this part, that to be an early adopter uh, means that you are willing to be an independent participant and not simply an evolved observer or bystander. See, there's one thing about being um, able to pick out when this is crowd behavior 
and be a quote unquote above it, that just means that you're an observer. But when you become an early adapter, that means that you become an independent participant on the field doing the stuff, but doing it in your own way. It's um, where you are able to be on the field, but you're running your own race. You're marching to your own beat. I like something that Theodore Roosevelt said, and it wasn't in correlation to being an early adapter, but I think it's apropos here. And he said this, he said, we must all be either, uh, we must all either wear out or rust out. Every one of us. And he says, my choice is to wear out. And what he meant by that is when you run your race, when you live your life, either you become obsolete by never taking a chance, meaning you rust out, or you expire having done everything that you wanted to do because you just simply wore out. You ran your race diligently and greatly every day. And yes, he is the same person who came up with the man in the arena speech that I've talked about a few times on other podcasts as well. Check that one out if you don't, if you're not familiar with what I, I'm, I'm talking about. Um, and so looking at being an early adopter, be willing to wear yourself out. Uh, Les Brown has a funnier way of saying it. And he says, there is no safe place. Every one of us goes out of here the same way through death. There is no escaping death. And so to be an early adopter, why don't you just go on and choose to wear yourself out instead of rusting out by being confined into your little small safe place? The next thing about uh, being an early adopter is to learn how to sharpen your perception and knowledge bank. One of the things that that E.O. Wilson quote says, he starts with the fact that there's a lot of information. You can't really do this getting ahead of the crowd without having a broad database on a lot of different things. And I've said this one before as well. And that is that in today's world, we are required to be hedge foxes. Uh, That comes from the idea of these two animals where you have a hedgehog who burrows down. That would be a person who is an expert in a, a specific area. But then you have a fox. And if you think of the fox, the fox is cunning. The fox moves quickly and, and, and around. And that fox is going to be a generalist. They, they're going to know a little bit about a lot of things. But in today's world, we have to be hedge foxes. And uh, the book Curious uh, is um, where they do a great treatise of this idea of the hedge fox. Okay, so then um, there are uh, ways to look at different uh, areas of inspiration. Um, There are a lot of places now who curate for you. You can do things like if you look at the morning brew and and all of uh, smart news and all of these different places that will just give you a snapshot of everything that's happening. That's going to help you to develop this eye for sharpening your perception. Now, I could go on and on, but I want to move on to the next one. So the third one is going to be use your death advisor daily. Now, I just talked about Les Brown, but I want to bring him back up again. And that is his true what he said. There is no escape plan. The only way you get out of here is death. Until now, I mean, uh, now we still haven't figured out another way to get out of here. <laughs> um, but through uh, death. And so there's no safe option. 
you must be aware of that. And so when we talk about the death advisor, I've brought that up before um, with this proverbial advisor of death being on your left shoulder, always reminding you that every second of your life, every phase of your life is to a finite end that we are all going to die and that you don't have forever to squander. You don't have forever to do whatever it takes for you to do. And if you would keep that in mind, it will help you to make better decisions. And as a person getting ahead of the crowd, outside of the crowd, when you use your death advisor, you're going to make decisions and choices that are more profound than you ever would know. Um, And I like to say with this death advisor, consulting it daily, it helps you to understand what your worn out plan will be. Remember uh, Theodore Roosevelt saying he would choose to wear out instead of rust out? Yeah, your death advisor helps you to know this is something that you're working towards so that you can smile when you're getting out of here. You know, dying daily through self-examination and self-interrogation is part of the job of the death death advisor. To die daily by being honest, to examine who you are and where you are, and to ask yourself the important questions that help you to move forward, not by anybody else's uh, concealed machinations, but by your ability to make the choices that you can within the environment and the culture that you're in. And another thing I want to say about this, and this is by um, the famous uh, Roman poet and um, uh, contemporary of Horace, way back uh, from the latter part of the first century and the second century AD. Um, he, um, his, his name is a Juvenal, uh, and he is not juvenile, the a singer, a performer, juvenile, and he was known for the satires. And this is what he said, and it was profound. And I was like, you know, that juvenile, he, I can imagine him having a sharp comeback. But this is what one of his most notable things is. And he said, the world was not big enough for Alexander the Great, but the coffin was. And whenever I think about that, I think about use your death advisor daily. Because that coffin is coming for you. Ashes, whatever you want to call it. Okay. He said the world wasn't big enough for Alexander the Great, but the coffin was. I was like, okay, that's some perspective there. So die daily by self-examining and self-interrogating yourself, asking those right questions, looking at yourself with a clean, clear glass, magnifying glass, so that you don't find that you are simply regurgitating other people's vomit of what they want you to do and be. Get outside of the crowd. Number four. Gods and mortals. And there's a saying that says, we are gods of the universes we create and mortals of the universes of others' creations. Daily, ask yourself, is this the time for you to build other people's dreams or for you to build your own? Now, this is not categorical, but for a lot of people, a lot of crowd people, They first pay their dues by helping other people build their dreams. And then once they have learned, and you know how we said, increase that database of information and knowledge and learn how to critically think. Once they've done that by helping other people build their dreams, then they move on to their own. But if you come here, came here knowing that this is my dream, I know what I'm here to do. 
You need to concentrate on building your dream and not getting sidelined by building others. And it is okay if you are building somebody else's dream right now, whether it be on another job, a project, or whatever. It's okay. And even if you never change from building somebody else's dream, if that's what you agreed to do here, that's fine. Just know what is at play. Knowing is half the battle. And do daily deeds for your community. The more you support those around you, the more you tap into the law of affection. We talked about the law of affection the other day. And that is the law that simply says, the more you provide value and help and support and usefulness to others, the more you gain, whether it be wealth, prestige, popularity, good reputation, and those types of things. So as a God in your creation of your universe, living your dream, when you help others, you establish that godship. And this is not about vanity. Don't 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 write me about gods, you know, whatever. If you have a problem with that in, in terms of yourself, this is not the podcast for you because that's not where we're going. We're not talking religion here. Okay. So, but let me get on because we got two more to go. All right. And so here's the big one that we talked about at the top of the show about being a synthesizer. I know you thought I was just going to say it and let you go. No, I'm going to give you some steps to be able to work this thing out. So here's how to become a synthesizer. That is that you're going to learn to turn information into knowledge and then that knowledge into wisdom. This is called tacit learning. Look it up. All right. And it's it's that street knowledge, that hands uh, on knowledge that you gain by doing something. So there is a difference between between training and learning. And um, when I teach people how to put together online courses to train other folks, this is something that I find is really hard for them to uh, grasp. And I have to say it over and over again to them that you have to know the difference between training and learning. And as a synthesizer, a synthesizer gets this because a synthesizer understands that training is so that you understand how to do a skill or a specific set of skills or actions, whereas learning is the underlying information and education you need to not only do that skill, but to do others. And so um, a popular uh, analogy that I use is the difference between a cook and a chef. And so a cook is going to have training because a cook can follow a recipe. A cook can get in there and do a little experiment, experimentation of different spices and and things to, to make a good meal. But a chef is going to be that person of uh, learning and education, deep learning, deep training, deep education, because Not only are they trained in skill, but they're also knowledgeable, educated, and they have become wise about cooking such that they are able to create the recipe that a cook would use because their knowledge is broad and they can come up with anything. Okay, so that's part of what it becomes And what it comes to look like as a synthesizer, a synthesizer learns how to be the chef so that the chef can help the cooks. Okay, so you turn that information into knowledge and the knowledge into wisdom. Also, as a synthesizer, this is part of it that I 
am always amazed at uh, that how the top synthesizers are, they become the top. And that is that they learn to wield clever, shrewd, cunning, and finessed concepts. They are always outthinking everyone else with their plans, their actions, their strategies. Think of Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Think of you clever sly dog you or, you know, things where everybody is given the same resources, but the synthesizer, because they are versed in looking at all the stuff we talked about before, having different perspectives, not just looking at something the way that is expected or that is in um, vogue of the time, but they have a larger database to pull from for their options. They become wealthy and clever and shrewd. Um, and they, they will approach it from a different way. So another thing about this synthesizer is you have to become a problem solver. Remember I told you we were going to we were going to talk about problem solving. And so you have to learn how to solve complex problems with simple solutions that do so accurately that anybody can do it. Remember what I said about the crowd? The crowd is always looking for what? Two things. They're looking for somebody to lead them and they're looking for shortcuts. And the person who is able to give them a simple solution, a.k.a. a shortcut, is going to be a synthesizer, is going to be ahead of the crowd. So think about this. Let's 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 go and look at this so far Um, to be a synthesizer. You have that alchemy down where you take simple facts of information and you elevate them into wisdom, a.k.a. you're able to take um, quantitative data and facts, and you're able to do some psychological innovation where you get the whys and the behaviors behind that data that drives it and put together a fuller picture so that you become a problem solver, right? Now, this is the next thing about problem solving that I want you to understand. And that is a lot of times people plan boldly, but meekly go. What I mean by that is Don't plan for something that requires you to get out there boldly. But then when it comes time for the execution, you fumble the play. You meekly say something. Being a problem solver requires an element of confidence. And that confidence comes by understanding the things that we're talking about, of being able to extricate yourself from the from the crowd think of being able to understand both the tech and the human side of thinking knowing the difference that demographics are facts and psychographics are the whys and the mental thoughts that lead to the behaviors behind the facts being that problem solver means that when you come up with that solution have confidence to put it out there. Be able to overcome what the crowd is going to say because there will be pushback. As a problem solver, you are innovative. And when you come up with a solution that doesn't look like what people expect, they're always going to talk about why it won't work. And they're going to give you a lot of facts about why it won't work. And nine times out of 10, they will not have looked at the qualitative experience behind the irrationality of their very beings that yes this might happen but it won't because people are 
pessimistic. They are uh, subset. They're subject to peer pressure. And if I get enough people buying in on this, they're going to crumble, you know, and all of that. So be aware that when you become this problem solver, there are going to be things that you have to do that uh, nobody is going to be cheering for you when you come out with this a lot of times. The next thing is, as a problem solver, know the flow. We have talked about this over and over again with a lot of recent podcasts. Know the flow of things. And so I'm going to give you a few here because we can't take up much more time because my time is, oh, my time is up. Um, But with knowing the flow, Understanding simple things like if you want to know the flow of the crowd, understand that hobbies usually turn into professions, that the fringe becomes the mainstream, that the underground is progressive and futuristic, that the liberal with time turns into the conservative, that what has been done to help the poor eventually becomes um, the cordoned off uh, aspiration of the rich a.k.a. uh, uh, cosmetic surgery, how it was made to help those who couldn't afford um, things and, um, um, you know, afford better health care on the fields of battle. And uh, now it has become something that's an aspirational thing um, that the rich get. Okay, and then this next one is know that when you that that you must ride the cusp of a breakout, meaning that to know the flow, you need to know that the flow is always in front of the wave. You have to know when something is going to peak and you need to be in front of the peak. To be too far out means that you are the sacrificial lamb, but to be in front of the peak where it's beneficial for you is going to be the best place. So even though you're going to be an early adapter, you're going to hang around to be part of the early mainstream so that you can get benefit of what you do. Okay. And so the sixth one is know your surroundings and the people in it. Um, Again, there is uh, this this famous uh, quote that comes from a book that I loved called um, The Engines of God by Jack McDevitt. And he, one of his characters, a, a female archaeologist in the book, she says, show me what a people admire and I will tell you everything about them that matters. And that has been something that I have used in understanding how to chart uh, what the crowd is doing and how to get in front of it and those types of things. Um, Leo Tolstoy even said that time and patience are the strongest warriors. And when you have the time and the patience to observe and to um, learn and to get out there and try some things, then you become very powerful in being ahead of the crowd. Um, uh Calden, which is he—he he was a famous um, psychologist before uh, we even knew what the term psychology was. He liked to uh, know his surroundings of the people, and he came up with the four types of generations that repeat over and over again from his observations and from working with people. And he said that they were defined by certain um, trades. Uh, traits and attitudes. And he said that you have the revolutionaries, the orderlies, the pragmatists, and the skeptics. And when we talk about getting ahead of the crowd, it is up to you 
to take the wisdom of called then and understand what time we're in. So real quick, the revolutionaries, those uh, that's the generation who upends any kind of established system that, and they come with it with great challenge. Then you have the orderlies. These are the people who like um, to make sense of what the revolutionaries did. They like to bring organization, structure, and order to this new system that has uh, become uh, prevalent and accepted. Then, of course, you get those pragmatists. They are they they start to get disillusioned with the current existing structure. Um, they uh, enjoy the comforts of this new order, but they're like... Everything, uh, this is the. This is it. This is all we have. They're going to be your conservatives. They're going to actually say that the, they, when they're going to say this is standardized and this is the way life is. And then you have those skeptics. Those are going to be the people who question everything. And they are the ones who make it ripe for the revolutionaries to come back in. If you understand Depending on what crowd you're in, if you understand what phase your crowd is in, is it in its revolution, in its orderliness, in its pragmatism of um, this is the way stuff is, status quo, or if it's in the skepticism phase where people are starting to question it, you will be able to use that information, time and patience, to uh, be able to get ahead of the crowd and um, to do some great things, whether you are trying to lead a movement, a coalition, uh, run a company, uh, leave a legacy. All of those things are going to uh, be at your disposal because you're understanding some things about knowing your surroundings and the people around you. Uh, Winston Churchill said something. He said, to improve is to change. So to be the per- to be perfect, that means that you've changed a lot. And it does not matter your age. It does not matter uh, your your culture, your location. Be willing to change. And if you have changed a lot, you're going to look more perfect than you might think or feel you are. Um, there's and, and I'm going to tell you this, there is a certain admiration that comes from that. Think about people who get deemed as Renaissance people who've done a lot of things, who've lived a hearty life. They have a good reputation and a good legacy. Um, think of it like this, that um, Ryan Holiday, he, he wrote an article that highlighted some Stoics and he said something to the effect of there is nothing more impressive intellectually or otherwise than the change long held beliefs, opinions and habits. The more you've changed, the better you probably are. And with that, I want to leave this summation because I have gone way over today. Thank you all. I know it's probably a little bit intricate. You might want to take some notes, but If you do, you're going to be amazed. If you put this into action, you're going to be amazed at how far ahead you get. Remember, I had some people that paid me to to give them this information. So the secret to getting ahead is that you really want to be a synthesizer. You want to be able to take all that information coming at us and turn it into wisdom. You want to be able to have the right information at the right time. You want to have critically thought about it from different perspectives and then uh, used it wisely to help yourself and others. And so with becoming that synthesizer, six points, be dual minded, 
think divergently, where you allow yourself to go out into different directions of thought and then converge those thoughts to bring them back in and land on a, a new common point that's that's full of wisdom and is usually going to be a great idea or a great solution to a problem. And then you want to be an early adapter, be adventurous and explore, go out, learn some things and decide to be worn out instead of rusted out by doing this. Next, use your death advisor daily. Yes, no one escapes death and use that to understand that you don't have all day long to get something done. That, uh, as Juvenal said, the world wasn't big enough for the uh, Alexander the Great, but a coffin was. Do everything you can to make the best of your life. Every day is not promised, and that should dictate how you live each day. Um, die daily by self-examination and self-interrogation. Number four, uh, Use the the power of being a God and a mortal. Understand that the universe you create, meaning the world that you create, the dreams that you have, that you live, you become the God of it. But as a person living in somebody else's universe, you are the mortal. Understand what time you're in. Is this your time to help someone else build their dreams or if it's time for you to build yours? And it doesn't matter. You're not wrong with either one. Just understand, be willing to build a legacy, a brand and a reputation because these are internal. And of course, make sure that you do daily deeds to affect the law of affection. And then number five, be in a synthesizer. Turn that information into knowledge. Become clever, shrewd, and cunning with how you enact your plans and your actions. Be Bugs Bunny, not Elmer Fudd. Be that problem solver that we talked about. Know the flow of uh, how uh, information goes, hobbies, fringe, and um, the movement uh, of how movements go. And then, of course, know your surroundings and the people around you. Uh, understand that if you are in a, a group, how to stand out from them is first identifying what movement of a four stage movement you're in, whether the group is revolutionaries, orderlies, pragmatists or skeptics, and then be willing to change and change often. So that that is what perfection is, the purification, the the working through all the things that you come here with so that when you leave, you leave worn out, but you leave well-worn. And guess what? My time is up. I thank you for yours. Y'all, I know that this one was a, a bit hearty and uh, a lot of concepts were thrown at you, but hey, Take notes, listen to it. I wanted to make sure that before we get out of this decade, I left you with some things that I wanted to have said for a long time, but needed to make sure that I could say them in a way that the uh, that would be a blessing to you. So, yes, this has been Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom, with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. Don't forget to check the show notes and please consider using our Amazon link at michellespiva.com forward slash AMC for all of your Amazon shopping needs. And if you do, we might get a little bit of financial uh, consideration that will be used to further our daily podcast. So with that, have a wonderful rest of your day. And guess what? Yep, I'm going to see you tomorrow. Bye.
And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.